Elder Kaler is back with us, and uh, his message today is entitled, It's the Right Time, Let's Do It. It's the right time. Let's do it. <clears throat> How fast time flies. There we were. Uh-oh. Time does fly. Don't look quite the same. I have been convicted of how fast it does fly. I'm planning on our 50th class reunion from high school. 50th. I thought you had to be really old for that. Now, not long after that, is our 50th wedding anniversary. That's, we're starting to plan that already. We're going to go to Hawaii and have our anniversary in Hawaii. <clears throat> I worked in Hawaii for a number of years, and so we want to go back. Um, I'm about ready to celebrate 50 years in ministry. Now, these are big numbers, aren't they? They Yes. <laughs> I was baptized over 50 years ago. So you see the theme here? It's kind of getting to my head. You are old. I will be 65 in just two months. And I was convinced the Lord would come before this. In 1969, we bought two parcels of land in Hawaii. And... Um, Promptly, we gave them to the mission because we believed the Lord was coming back. And we, what, did we have need for land? So we just gave it to the Lord. Uh, does that sound like a thing that you have felt? You know, why do we need these things? The Lord's coming back. Adventists have devoted uh, we, our lives to the single hope. So why is God tarried? Are we at fault? The Bible says... When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. I've been trying to wrestle with this whole thing is why are we still here and what God says about this. And I'm going to be sharing some of my thoughts with you today. There were conditions that preceded Christ's first coming. And we ought to take a look at those conditions because maybe they say something about when he's coming back. You see up in the right-hand corner, The Desire of Ages. A wonderful book. If you haven't read it, please do. Uh, she lists, uh, in the author of that lists many, many things that triggered the timing of the Lord's first coming. And here, I'm going to give them to you. The world was ripe for the coming of the deliverer. The nations were what? There has never been a time quite like that. One language, widely spoken, ever since the Tower of Babel. You know, this was coming back. The Jews were gathered to Jerusalem for the annual feast, and when they returned to the places of their sojourn, they could spread throughout the world the tidings of the Messiah's coming. I have a Bible study group that meets on Friday night, and we just looked at Acts chapter 2, and we realized that the experience of what happened in chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples and Peter spoke so movingly, there were people from all around the world there listening to Peter and saw the change in the lives of those apostles and heard those moving words. They were deeply convicted, and we're talking about they went back to uh, places where they came from, Jews, and the Jews were settled in large, large, large groups of people in various places around the world. They went back, they told the story, they, they affirmed what they had witnessed in Jerusalem, and when the disciples went around the world, the fire was already set. It was ready to go. In just 30 years, the world was turned upside down. The 30 years that Jesus was on earth, they had more results than that one day on Pentecost. It's amazing. And so this is what some of the things that happened. The systems of heathenism were losing their hold upon the people. Men were weary of pageant and fable. They longed for a religion that could satisfy the heart. Now these are some of the conditions. I want you to think about our day and the comparison. 
From the light of truth, seem, while the light of truth seemed to have departed, souls were looking for light and who were filled with perplexity and sorrow. Does that talk about our day? Thing, they were thirsting for a knowledge of the living God, for some assurance of life beyond the grave. I've mentioned about my nursing classes where I have that regular contact with the public, and it's amazing how this is true. This is what people are longing for today. When the Jews had departed from God, their faith had grown dim and hope had well nigh ceased to illuminate the future. The words of the prophets were uncomprehended. They don't know the answers. They don't know where to look. These were the conditions. And Bible prophecies were being fulfilled. Okay, here's the comparisons. An intensely unsettled time we're living in, filled with a sense of emptiness, hurt, and anguish. I have never seen a time like this. It's everywhere. It's common. This is a huge issue today. When previous stabilities were losing their hold, and that's true in a lot of ways, the power of society to hold itself together is gone. Life was in flux. This is intense insecurity around the world today. The conditions that were triggering and brought Jesus to this earth are now apparent as well. When people were hungering and thirsting for truth, craving to fill their inner emptiness, when religious pageantry seemed empty, churches seemed irrelevant because they weren't offering much. People wanted something different. Enhanced communication. This is a big one you'll all identify with. All of these things are true. These were the conditions. My son tells me anywhere in the world, people have got these little phones. Anywhere in the world, in the middle of the desert, Himalayas, they got the phones. And they talk. There has never been a time like that in the world's history. The conditions that prompted the Lord to come the first time, never quite like they are today. It's an amazing time. Old ways no longer satisfy. People want authenticity. They're skeptical and they are craving something real. Now Peter had something to say about this in his epistle, chapter 1. The prophets who told us this was coming ask a lot of questions about this gift of life God was preparing. The Messiah's spirit let them in on some of it. The Messiah would experience suffering followed by glory. They clamor to know who and when. They wanted to know the answers. All they were told was that they were serving you and who by orders from heaven have now heard for yourselves through the Holy Spirit the message of these prophecies fulfilled. Do you realize how fortunate you are? Angels would have given anything to be in on this. All of the universe has been looking and they are intensely interested in our day just as they was in Jesus' days, just as they were. So finally Jesus comes. But then that next word, but. Maybe you've thought about some of these things. As the prophetic clock ran out, there was a flurry of supernatural activity. I think I talked about this before I left. Wise men, heavenly visitations, inspired declarations, rescues. God was heavily involved doing amazing things when Jesus was born. It was big time. And then it was followed by what? 30 years of silence. Except for one little brief encounter in the temple. They fled to Egypt. And then they fled to Nazareth. Finally Jesus reappears. And here is John. 
the Baptist. He's calling for national repentance, and Jesus comes and is baptized. And after he was baptized, I want you to get the picture of this. According to the Gospels, we don't know if the Gospels recorded all the events. They certainly didn't. But in the first uh, 18 months of Jesus' ministry after his baptism, only nine events are spoken of. So he comes, flurry of activity, disappears. He steps in briefly at the temple at 12, disappears. He comes back and is baptized, and then he goes into relative obscurity. Only nine events were talked about. The ministry of Jesus took place in just a little over a year and a half time, the bulk of his ministry, and he died. Well, what's with all of this on and off stuff? He was certainly capable at 12. He could stand up against the priests and straighten them out, couldn't he? He demonstrated he can do that. So he didn't need any preparation. At 30, he vanquished Satan in the temptation in the wilderness, didn't he? He was up to it. Why the obscurity? Why disappear? Six months later, he stood up to the priest when he cleansed the temple in Jerusalem. There wasn't any shortage on Jesus. He was ready for what he was called to do. Yet the first 40% of his ministry, so little was done. Just a few private encounters, very little disciple training, even though all the conditions listed in the book Desire of Ages were fulfilled. Why? How long must we wait? Have you been in a waiting mode? How long have... Who's been an Adventist the longest here? Who's been an Adventist more than 50 years? More than 60 years? Okay. Do I dare go any higher? (laughs) 70 years, Mona? 80 years? No. That's a long time. And so certainly you have thought about this occasionally. Um... The second coming of Christ is taught everywhere in the Bible, 1,200 times in the Old Testament, 300 in the New. The New Testament closes with these words, Behold what? And what's the last word? Quickly. Would you call this quickly? I am coming soon. Right after the quickly, I am coming soon. Is this soon? These words are trustworthy and true. Are they? Anguish when it stops. We see not our signs. There is no more any prophet. Neither is there among us any that know how long. Psalm 74, 9. And so when the prophetic voice stops, somehow people just don't know what to do. They are missing guidance. How long must we wait? The early church actually... We're very enthusiastic about the second coming of the Lord. You can even get this in the, in the epistles, you know, where Paul has to assure them when some of them are dying that this doesn't mean that all of the promises were in vain. So he spends some time assuring them about that. They very much expected Jesus Christ to come all the way through the disciple era. But not long after them, they stopped signing their letters. We have some of these letters. They stopped signing them Maranatha. What does Maranatha mean? Lord, come. That's the way their letters were signed. They stopped. Instead, there were prayers to the, to the Lord about the emperor and their deputies. The reason for the delay? Well, there have been several reasons suggested why the Lord hasn't come. When he said he was going to come soon and quickly. Why? Well, to give time for more people to repent and be saved. Is that true? 
Yeah, that's true. That's what Peter says. Because of the sins in the church. And we talked about that, I think, in the Sabbath school class this morning, didn't we? Gospel needed to go to the world. It needed to get out to the entire world. That's what Jesus said. And the second coming would come only when the number of the elect was determined. Only when the divine timetable was fulfilled. Now, there's always been Adventists. I could have brought it, but I didn't. It's probably in our library up here. Leroy Edwin Frome, an unbelievable scholar, did some amazing thing. He wrote, I mean, these books are that thick on thin pieces of paper, and there are four of them that are just on the prophetic faith of our fathers, where he traced, traced all of the prophets' viewpoints and the statements from amazing amounts of literature and put it all together. What an amazing piece of work. And he did two others on the state of the dead, the conditionless faith of our fathers. Amazing piece of work. And in these, he tells us about, down to the history, whether or not people really held on to this belief Excuse me, in the second coming. And they did. Almost all of the reformers did. Living in the time of the end, we've been there since in 1798. That's when officially the time of the end started. We've experienced phenomena that are associated with the last days, which are, can you name them? Meteoric shower, stars falling, dark day, etc. We, we know in Adventism from the prophecies of Daniel that since 1844, it's been the time of judgment. 1844 is how long ago? Well, believe it or not, it's getting to be almost, well, 30 years short of what? 32 years short of 200 years. European reformers, Luther and Calvin and Wycliffe and Fox and the Puritans, all believed in this. In fact, Luther said, I hold that the last day is not far away. I hope I may live until the last day. The last day is just before the door. My calendar has run out. He believed in that. The gospel was preached nearly as purely in his day as in the time of the apostles. That's another reason why he thought the Lord was coming back. And um, <clears throat> there were all of these uh, felt very strongly. The Puritans came to America with the hopes of establishing a city on a hill, a pure city. In the 18th century into the 19th century, a widespread belief in the eminence of Christ's re return, much more than it is today. William Miller, how many of you know about this man? William Miller, he convinced a half a million people to expect Christ's return in his day. Some 1,500 to 2,000 ministers joined William Miller in his passion. I'm going to tell you a little bit about how extensive this was. Historians today are realizing that this revival that Miller sprung upon the North American, Northeast, was an amazing, powerful thing. During the summer of 1843, three camp meetings were planned, but due to such great demand, more than 30 were held. This was in 42. The following year, 50 were held, making a total of 130 camp meetings and an attendance of excess of a half a million people at a time when the population of the United States was 17 million. Special railroad cars and even railroad lines were taken right to the camp meeting site so the people can get there. They sometimes, they had tents that could seat 4,000 people. 
and it was standing room only. Uh, Miller reckoned that he had preached in his few years no fewer than 500 towns and to 6,000 souls he had witnessed converted. This was an amazing time. The postmaster in Canton, Iowa, uh, reported that when the Millerite papers arrived, there was a general rush for extra copies. Can you please send more? They sent out so much literature, eight million copies in their day. Millerites signed their letters like the early Christians did, a little differently, yours in the blessed hope. It was powerful. They believed it every day of their lives. They lived their lives according to it. The hearts of parents were turned to their children at that time and the hearts of children to their parents. The barriers of pride and reserve were swept away. Confessions were made. Members of the household labored for the salvation of those who were nearest and dearest. Often there were heard sounds of earnest intercession. Everywhere were souls deep pleading with God. The Millerite revival was an intense revival. The softening, subduing power of the Holy Spirit melted hearts all over that era. So it was an amazing time. Uh, it produced everywhere a most deep searching of heart and humiliation of soul before the God of heaven. Affections were weaned from the things of this earth. Controversies and animosities were healed. The second coming became our hope and our joy, our all. Her brother, Ellen White wrote, her brother wrote, what has this message done for you? Would you be what you are now if you had never heard the doctrine of Christ's incoming? What hope is it inspired in your heart? What peace, joy, and love is it given you? And for me, it has done everything. Well, Joseph Bates predicted that the Lord would come, since he didn't come in 1844. He would come just six years later, seven years later, in 1851. And he encouraged the people to start selling their property just like they had done in 1844 in preparation for the coming. Ellen White warned against this, stating that all such dates would pass. The third angel's message would never hang on what? Time again. Watch out. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to start reversing, trying to reverse that statement. Stating that if they had got, Ellen White stated that if they had gone to God and known their duty, they would have kept their property. She stated that in her first vision, she heard the day and hour of Christ's coming. Now get, get this, her very first vision. She heard the Lord tell her the day and the hour. And she lost it. It disappeared from her memory. Now why would the Lord keep that? Out. She couldn't even pull it back was gone. The apparent tarrying is not so in reality, she says, for at the appointed time our Lord will come. Ah. During the first 39 years of her ministry, I want you to notice this. Ellen White held that the three angels' message predicted a revival and reformation and therefore must be proclaimed because the Lord was coming soon. Notice that. We did what we did because the Lord is coming. Got that? That's what was moving us. The last 32 years, she said that revival must come and messages be proclaimed so that the Lord would come. That's a different message, isn't it? 
that we have a part in determining when he comes. First of all, he's coming. We've got to do this way because he's coming. Now we have to do something to actually hasten his coming. The idea of hastening the advent began to appear in her writings in 1898. 1898 is a long time from when she first began to be inspired, 1844. So this idea took a long time coming. Hence, when 1898 happened and the change and we have to get the world ready for the Lord's coming before he can come, now we see a church that is doing more in the area of mission and education and building institutions and helping to prepare people. And during the Sunday Law agitation at the turn of the century, she advocated, what was this now? Praying for a delay in his coming. Have you ever done that? I don't think the early church could even conceive of that. So that the work of preparing hearts could be accomplished. She said, make haste slowly when they were trying to move to Andrews University site. Make haste slowly. Ever tried to make haste slowly? I do it every morning. <laughs> Here's what she says. Like the stars in the vast circuit of their appointed path, God's purposes know what? Now that is kind of burned into every mind of every Adventist. Adventist means the Lord's coming back. But this thought here of his purposes know no haste nor delay is a pretty, it's a, it's a wonderful principle, hard to understand. Very difficult to understand. It was not the will of God that the coming of Christ should be thus delayed. Now that's a powerful statement. How could that be when you have the passage or the statement just before it? It's hard to understand. Yet she could also say the promises and the threatenings of God are like what? They're based upon conditions. We're getting into a thing that's a little beyond our ability to understand. In 1894, an article that she wrote put these several ideas together. She talked about a fixed time for the end, a literal delay by the Lord, a stubborn desire to delay on the part of the sinner. Each week counted one less to the appointed time of the judgment. A few who professed to believe were saying in their hearts that the master was delayed. This is the dilemma that Adventists have. The Lord is coming, he will not be delayed, but things are conditional, and we must do something. Difficult, that's where we live. And during most of her life, Ellen White expected to be alive when Jesus Christ comes. I expect to, expect to be alive when he comes. How many of you expect to be alive when Jesus Christ comes? Okay, all right. Well... In 49, she says, the work of the most holy place is almost finished. In 50, she said, time is almost finished. In 56, this is 1800s, she stated that people attending the conference of Battlecrack should remain upon the earth to be translated. 83, she wrote of some aged workers that they may be permitted to remain till Christ be revealed in the clouds of heaven. Between 84 and 1905, she wrote that the investigative judgment was about to pass to the cases of the what? This is not new to any of us, is it? We know all of this. In 88, she declared that some who were then alive would see the prediction clarified and hear the voice of the archangel. This is just almost too big to figure it out. When you put all those statements together, knowing they're inspired, 
What does it mean? Of the delay in Christ's coming, she declared in 68, the long night of gloom is trying, but the morning is deferred in what? Because if the master should come, what? So many would be found unready. Addressing the general conference in 1903, she said, I know that if the people of God had preserved a living connection with him, this is now our part, if they had obeyed his word, they would today be in the heavenly Canaan. And yet God's purposes know no haste nor delay. It is amazing. Over a span of 65 years, between 1850 and 1915, she makes at least 45 statements regarding the nearness of the Lord's return. And yet she says, very erroneous work has been done again and again and will continue to be done by those who seek to find new light in the prophecies. The Lord has shown me that the message must go and that it must not be hung on time, for time will never be a test again. I saw that some were getting a false excitement arising from preaching about time. Time setters, oft-repeated messages of definite time was exactly what the enemy wanted, and it served his purpose as well to unsettle the faith of the first pro proclamation of time that was of heavenly origin. Now, after all of this, there was a critic of Ellen White that rose and said, you're a false prophet. You said this and this and this, and it hasn't come true. She said, the promises and threatenings of God are conditional. She could no more be accused of falsehood because time had continued longer than her testimony indicated than could Christ and his disciples. This was in the Bible. She quoted all of those verses. And then the angel of God in their message to men had always depicted the time before Christ's return as brief. Thus, it had always been presented to her. The tension was alive as it is today. But what I'm saying is the conditions in the world today that triggered Jesus' first coming are very much duplicated today. We are in a unique time. I think it might be happening. But the church has a group of people that really are interested in setting the time, that are dedicated to stirring up excitement about the Lord's coming. So one year after 1844, which they thought was the year that the Lord was coming, one year later, they also were excited. They thought, well, maybe we're just a year off, and so they had a big excitement, October 22, 1845. In 1851, seven years later, Bates thought that because the sprinkling of blood was seven times in the most holy place, it was seven years. So they thought maybe in 1851. Nope. And then they thought 1884. Why? Because the children were in the wilderness for 40 years, therefore we'll be in the wilderness for 40 years from 1844. So it's 1884. Big excitement. 1888. The righteousness by faith meetings triggered a lot of belief in that. 1892, when Sunday law legislation connected to the passages in the book of Revelation about Sunday law legislation, the image of the beast, etc., in February of 29 of 1892, they thought that was a trigger. Just prior to the return of, to the turn of the century, Adventists, look at this one, were adopting babies by crazy amounts. They were trying to reach that number of 144,000 so they can go home. 
<laughs> I thought so too, Peggy. That's funny. <laughs> 1928, 40 years after 1888, these books, Christ Our Righteousness and Coming of the Comforter, two very important books were published. They thought that was maybe a, a keynote in 1930s. This is an interesting one. You remember that vision? I, she, she talked about some here would be alive when the Lord comes back. Well, in the 1850s, some of those present had heard that the last one passed away in the 1930s, and so they thought, well, certainly he's going to have to come before that person dies. You get the link there? This generation, well, since none of those previous things worked, they looked at the Hunzas and they said, the Hunzas that were alive back in those days, you know, they live a long time. Maybe, you can see what they're doing. They're grasping for straws. And that came and went. In 1864, 1964, 120 years after 1844, what were we doing? We were sending people to the moon. And would God permit sin to go to the moon in the form of the astronauts? Or even wouldn't. Anyway, in the 60s and 70s, Many reported the angels had visited them. All kinds of us. If you were alive at that time and you were an Adventist, these things were reported widely. You're traveling down the road and here suddenly there's an angel visiting you. Whew, my goodness. They were reported widely. And people thought, well, maybe the Lord's coming back. 1887. This is a strange one. The end of a jubilee cycle was talked about. Various signs of the times and end time scenario, even calculating the number of popes. 1999, Christ throwing down the censer and returning 42 months later. Well, all of those things came and went. It's true. The emphasis of signs has diminished. Arthur Maxwell, you remember the man who wrote the Bible story and the bedtime stories, the father of those sons that were so unbelievably powerful in the church and did so many good things? He used to write a book on the second coming every year. He was also the editor of Signs of Times, I think. Gordon Collier, do you remember this name? Huge charts outlining all the details of what we knew about what was going to happen. Many of you know about that, right? And these were amazing. There was a hunger to know all the details about the Lord's coming. And so they had it all mapped out, big fancy charts, amazing. I made these things in, in black light, you know, and put them up on, on big felt boards and things like that. I remember Gordon Collier coming to me years later with tears in his eyes. He said, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. He's a changed man. The emphasis now is on reaching the world with the gospel. Today, the Seventh-day Adventist Church takes that really seriously. We are world leaders in health and in education and evangelism, very effective in soul winning. We are now probably right around 18 million strong around the world. I saw, I was here, I was aware of the time when we reached our first million. How did we get from a million to 18 million? I don't know how that happened, but it happened. We are growing at 2,877 people per day. Church is growing. This is the way the chart looks. Globally, the church is doubling in size every 12 years. Doubling in size. 
So in the next 12 years, if this is true, 36 million around the world. 12% of the membership of the church will have been members. Um, let's see. By only 12% of the membership of the church will have been members in 2000. It's changing. It's becoming a younger church, much younger than it has ever been. Over a million are baptized each year. Uh, longest, largest concentrations are in Africa, Central and South America, and the Philippines. 39% of the church today is African, 30% Hispanic, 14% Asian, and look at the Caucasians. That's us, folks. Amazing facts about the Adventist church today. Six of the world's 13 regions have memberships of over a million, several of those probably over 3 million by now. 710 radio stations, 775 TV stations, <laughs> broadcast SDA programs each week. This is no small thing. I, I discovered how many Pathfinders? A million and a half Pathfinders. It's a big deal today. If current trends continue, there will be one Adventist for every 100 people by 2034. Here are some stats. Churches, that's how many churches there are around the world. Employees, that's like me. Working in 2009 of the two, or 209 of the 232 countries of the world. That's saturation. It's everywhere. Speaking 921 languages, 377 printing. Schools, 7,806 students, 1,668,000. Now you look at that schools and the students. This is the younger generation. Amazing. Hospitals and sanitariums, 173 around the world. Food industries, because we eat differently, 20. Publishing houses, 73, and they're very, very busy. The annual tithe, look at that number. A lot of money. It's become big time. We have witnessed an evangelistic campaign just a few blocks from the Vatican. When was that, Dean? Two years ago? A year ago? A year and a half? Whoever thought that would happen? This last year, division-wide evangelism via satellite series. Big time. Haven't seen that since Mission 72 and, and Net 98 and different things like that. Upcoming evangelism in Sin City is being planned, Las Vegas. Church is big time, doing amazing things. And in home, closer to home, we have a commitment to reach our community. And we're going to do this in a number of ways. Sabbath afternoon events, you'll be hearing more and more about this, where we're inviting people to come in and get some of this hunger that they're having right now in their lives to understand what's going on in their lives and what all of this means to get a place where they can come and ask their questions and get answers. We're going to be doing that on Sabbath afternoons. You'll hear more about that. Revival and evangelism, we've scheduled both of those this year. Revival in May and evangelism in September. Jack Peffley, who we all love, is coming back to do both of those. And he's coming back because the people have already met him and they will be inviting their friends to come. 
So Fort Bragg is doing things. God is already drawing people. Before Jesus returned to heaven, the disciples asked this important question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I want you to pay careful attention to the answer the angels gave. It is not for you to know times or seasons. Don't even bother going there. Which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power. Go to the Holy Spirit. Which will come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. And so that's, what, that's a theme of what we're going to be doing. Not really scaring and lightning. And all the effect of you know exciting bands and trumpets and all the stuff. The Lord's coming back. Yeah he's coming back. We don't know when. But the conditions are right. It's the Holy Spirit, and it's being a witness. That's what God wants us to do, those two things. And what's so exciting that I'm sensing is that God is enabling each one of us to do that. And so people will come, and then he will enable us to answer. The Holy Spirit will be involved in that process, knowing what to say and hearing clearly and be able to share those things. That's what we're going to be doing. So we're going to be talking about Various different things. It's going to be an exciting time for the church. I am excited about what 2012 is bringing. Even though, as you saw those so sad statistics, that I'm getting very old. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to be excited about that. And we want you to be joining us in praying about that. Keep that in your prayers. God is going to just be bringing people who we've never met, just walking through the doors of the church. We're going to be meeting them in the in the grocery store, we're going to be meeting them where we work, wherever it may be, friends. They'll ask questions. God is prompting those questions. Maybe they've seen something in us that causes them to maybe think that maybe it's okay to ask that question of us. And we're going to be prepared to be able to give, we'll get a schedule of some of the things we've got planned happening to you. And you'll have these things that you, and little booklets like Steps to Christ that you can hand out. We're going to take this very seriously this year and it's going to be an amazing time I'm excited about that let's continue to pray for each other let's pray for our town and pray for each one of us that God will make us witnesses it's not for you to know times or seasons that's in God's authority but you shall receive power and the Holy Spirit is going to come and you shall be my witnesses and when you go back and you read Acts chapter 2 and you realize that suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon Peter in an amazing way. I think it was the Holy Spirit that prompted him to go to Joel chapter 2. And, you know, about the prophets in the last days. And he preached it with such power and such authority. And then he takes a, a, a prophecy out of Psalms 110 and applies it to Christ. Never been done before like that. It's amazing. And the people were, the Holy Spirit went right to their hearts. And they says, what must we do to be saved? They were convicted. That's what we're going to run up with. People who are hungering and thirsting. And God's going to use us in answering those questions. All right. Dear Father, thank you for the words that you have given us. Thank you for teaching us that we are not to be all unduly exercised about different signs, things like that, that 
basically work against what you want us to do. But help us to put our faith in you every day. And help us to put our trust that you will bring to us. And may the Holy Spirit speak to us in such a way and may we learn to recognize that voice so that we can respond and work in concert rather than against it. Bring to us who you want to bring. Prepare us for those events. And bless all that we do with your blessing so that it will be done with your power and your spirit and not ours. And we know you are coming soon. We fixed our heart in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.